I'd like to propose a toast. Here's to the ladies who lunch. Everybody laugh. Lounging in there. Captains and planning a brunch on their own behalf. Off to the gym, then to a fitting. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This is one of our one shots where we cover a subject that doesn't get the full 15 Minute Film Fanatics treatment. Uh, Dan has not told me what this one is about. He has assured me that I'll be able to play along, but he's going to drop it on me live. Here we go. Last week, Stephen Sondheim died at the age of 91. And a few weeks ago, maybe a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I read a story in the Wall Street Journal in which uh, the writer, Adam Kirsch, I believe it was, uh, wrote a long essay, a, a terrific essay about how he called Stephen Sondheim the greatest living American writer. And you remember, Mike, I texted you and I said, I texted Mike and I said, try to guess who it is. And Mike's like, is it Cormac McCarthy? Is it this person, that person? And when I eventually said, no, you'll never guess it because it's like, it's not what you would usually expect. I said, it's Sondheim. And Mike's answer was, that makes sense. Or something like no argument there. And that was an interesting thing. So I wanted to talk about this because here's, here's, my, here's my backup to what I watched. I only knew Sondheim from Sweeney Todd um, and from what I heard when Jonathan Schwartz would do his Saturday show on WNYC, he played a lot of Sondheim. And so I kind of heard it um, secondhand. I always found his stuff highly literate. Um, it was like uh, Cheever characters sometimes singing to each other. I never got further into it, not out of any, uh, probably just out of laziness. I just never pursued it. But I, I always had a respect for him kind of from a distance, but I understood why people would really want to study him and really be fascinated by with him be fascinated with this stuff. So a couple of days ago, I had an hour and I was scrolling through Criterion looking for something to watch in a short amount of time. I was, I was all, I was tired of reading. And I looked and I saw a documentary by D.A. Pennebaker who directed Don't Look Back, the Bob Dylan movie I've seen a hundred times. And it was a documentary he made in 1970 called um, Company, the original cast album. And according to a Broadway tradition, you're supposed to record the cast album on a Sunday night because, you know, Monday, the theater's dark. And it's a, it's a, it was supposed to be the first episode of a TV series about recording original cast albums. They never made a second one after this one. And it's a one hour documentary about the cast trying to record this album and the struggles they face trying to do it in a studio where there's no audience. Have you ever seen this? I have. Uh, I, I remember very vividly the guy who plays Bobby trying to record being alive and hitting the beautiful note at the end, the sustained note. And then having somebody say, okay, that's great. Can you do it again? Yeah. And, and what that's like, because again, you're, you're, you're trying to sum up that emotion. Um, and it's very difficult sometimes in, in Sondheim too. I, I really like him and there's a lot of beautiful formal elements, but his high notes are not the same as other people's high notes. There's a lot of technical stuff going on in the music, not just in the lyrics, which translates into greater emotion. You can think about some of, tenor and poignancy of something like send in the clowns which right. is a judy collins hit right um and so saying okay now that you're now that you're all crying can you do that again and <laughs> uh, and it's so it's so funny to me i like elaine stritch i like i like company just in general 
but it was really fascinating to see what goes into trying to manufacture yeah. the experience of being on Broadway, particularly in a time, of course, when they when they had very limited recording technology, not not like we have where, you know, you can get the Broadway experience at home right. due to COVID. Right. It was fascinating to watch that. And it was fascinating to think of the obverse. Like I was thinking of actors we love that didn't start in theater, like Al Pacino started in theater or something, but like someone like Jack Nicholson had had no theatrical experience, never did it. People like De Niro, maybe a little in the beginning, but then he got too big that, you know, Brando did Streetcar and then, and then you know, a lot with the with the um, actor's studio and stuff. But it was kind of funny to imagine the obverse, right? Like, like what's it like to, to act for a film versus acting for a live audience? And, and where do you get your feedback from? So, you know, when you're making The Departed or something, you have to just trust that the thing you're doing is going to translate to an audience. But when you're in front of other people, you can kind of get the vibe and, and, and tell by the laughs or by the by even the silences, whether it's translating. And it reminded me a lot what you just said about, you know, the theatrical experience, you know, going through COVID. Now, now more theaters are streaming their performances. So it's interesting. This last fall, because of COVID, and, you know, because of COVID, we can stream things now and theaters are making their performances available to, available to us in our living rooms. Um, Trey Anastasio, who you know I love, he and his band did this thing called the Beacon Jams. And for eight weeks, every Friday night, they would do a show from the Beacon Theater in New York. They had the whole setup. They did a full three-hour show, but they played with their backs to the seats. And they had all these camera rigs set up. It was really, really great. And it was strange because they were playing a full concert to nobody, but but at least they knew that there was there was a live audience out there watching, and you know Trey would get updates on the on the internet and stuff to see what people thought about it. Um, but this is so strange that they have to summon up that emotion just for the for the guy in the control booth or Stephen Sondheim who was backstage going along with the music and coming out and telling them when they were you know even a half step off or something like that. And so it made me think of how much what we do, you know, is is like a performance, not that we're like Elaine Stritch singing, you know, here's to the ladies who lunch or something. But I thought about imagine if you and I had to do this podcast, but we couldn't like talk to each other as we did, or it was just solo, right? It would be different. It would be weird. And some people are really good at that. Like if you ever hear Dan Carlin, like he's really good at, at being alone and talking and making it understandable. But I think like I think the podcast for us is easier because we get to talk to each other. And I was going to say, especially especially with Sondheim, it's all very conversational and contrapointal, yeah. right? It's you hit your A flat and then I hit my whatever because we're, we're going back and forth and he's playing with the idea of, of operetta. And that's what makes it so intricate and so beautiful. And really, I, from a formal perspective, he changed the American musical as much as Oklahoma transformed the American right. stage in the, in the first place. Um, so I'm, I'm a great admirer of his and I, I can't imagine... Uh, you know, the, the kind of pressure that they're under again to, to deliver these emotional Sondheimian moments, um, but do it in a vacuum, essentially. And then and then, of course, with Sondheim, too, in, in case you get impatient with him, you're a captive audience when you're when you're in the Broadway theater. Like, here's a bit of trivia for you. Um, he had an argument with Leonard Bernstein because when they were recording the original cast album for West Side Story, Leonard Bernstein um, had to go to uh, London. And so basically a second in command of the New York Metropolitan uh, Sondheim was the backup conductor. And he was asked by the studio executives to speed everything up about half a second because they thought that the music would be too slow for the audience at home, that nobody would like it. And so it's okay in a movie where you have a, where you have a visual element, but they said, nobody's going to buy the West Side Story music uh, if you don't speed it up. And so he made a very controversial decision to speed it up and and please the execs 
uh, that that caused a minor falling out between him and Leonard Bernstein. And really? so he was very aware of trying to of, of, of the challenges of trying to bring the music yeah. uh, and the, the Broadway experience to a, to a home audience that was not captive and could just wander away for a soda. Yeah, that's funny because the, the last 15 minutes or so is, is Elaine Stritch trying to sing Here's to the Ladies Who Lunch. And at first he says, let's take it down a half. And she's like, no, 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 I could do it. I'll, I'll, I'll. She takes her hat off. I'll take my hat off. And so they do it again. He's backstage chain smoking, listening. And eventually they say, listen, we're just going to lay down the orchestra track and you can come back in a couple mornings and do it then. But it's so suspenseful to see if she's, you're, you're, you're so on her side. And what's so funny is that she's done it already and she's really great at it, but she just can't get it that night in this vacuum. When he's smoking the cigarettes, what is he like? An expectant father in the waiting room. It's like the, it's, it's like the cartoon father. And I, I can see him in my brain he now is. that you're saying it because that, that image is burned into my he mind. He is. That's great. Yeah. So it just reminded me of how strange it is to do things alone. You know, during COVID, you know, uh, one of my jobs, as you know, is I'm, I, I uh, teach writing at a college. And when we first went on to lockdown last year, well, none of us knew what was going on. I had to make a bunch of videos for my classes. It took forever because I would I would start fumbling on my words and he gets self-conscious. Now I can I can teach to a room full of people, it's fine. But when I had to actually film myself, I had to keep starting over and starting over. And I kept laughing at myself, saying, Why is this so difficult to do? And it's and it's because like you're doing it in a vacuum to nobody and hoping you can replicate what it's like to just talk to another person. And it's amazing that that's such a good cast recording too, because it is, because the, the, some of the magic of Sondheim is to take elements that you would not think that would make a musical and make something beautiful out of it. And you, and then I would think too, that you can't just capture that in the recording studio with, with one another or with one person doing their section then somebody else doing their section and all the in, impatient musicians, but it is magical. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it reminds me of one more point I'd like to add on to that. You know, you talk about the, the, the magic, so to speak, of a class. That's why so often, you know, you hear these lectures from the teaching company or the modern scholar or things like that. Sometimes they're pretty good, but sometimes they just don't work because it's just, you could tell it's just somebody sitting in a room saying, it was then that Augustus realized that the packs are, or, or something like that. And it's kind of like, all right. It's like, it's like, it's not somebody reading a book, which is a different kind of experience. It's somebody literally lecturing, but lecturing to nobody. So there's no funny asides and there's no like quick things with a student in the class. So it has like the sterility, which makes it, which makes it unlike listening to a book. All those musical recordings too are worth listening to. Uh, if, you know, as you said, he passed away um, yeah. last weekend. So if you're not familiar with him, the best thing to do is just grab company or something else or into the woods or merrily we roll along or Fosse or any of the ones that he wrote uh, and take a listen because it's, it's all beautiful. All right, great. So thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. We'll be back soon with another full movie treatment. Thanks.